Chapter 14 is a continuation of the battle against the Philistines that begins in chapter 13, a battle that was initiated by Jonathan, Yonatan, who in the beginning of chapter 14 is called Yonatan ben Shaul. He started the fight by attacking a garrison of Philistines. At the end of the previous chapter, we discovered a very important piece of information that the book has withheld from us. It's always interesting and very important in studying the Tanakh, especially the narratives, to see when the book gives you information. In the beginning of the previous chapter, we know that the numbers are, the, the, the disparity in numbers is very great. The Philistines have a massive army. The Israelites start with only 3,000 soldiers, and many are deserting, not joining, deserting, crossing over, hiding. But only at the end of the previous chapter, in verse 19, we discover a startling fact. In all of the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, there is no smith to be found. Nobody to work with iron. <coughs> the Philistines were concerned that the Hebrews would make swords and spears, would make weapons. So they had no smiths. They couldn't make wet weapons. In fact, they couldn't make any metal implements at all. So the text tells us that the Hebrews would go down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, coulters sharpened. The charge, Ptsira Pim sounds like a charge. The charge for this was a certain amount, was a Pim. For plowshares, mattocks, three-pronged forks, axes, and setting the goads. In short, not just weapons, but all metal implements. In order to obtain metal implements, you paid the Philistines to assist you in obtaining them and in making them. And verse 22, milchemet, So that on the day of the war, None of the Israelites had sword or spear. The army has no weapons. The people with Saul and Jonathan have no weapons. So this startling fact is told to us at the end of the previous chapter. It's not just a small army, not just desertions. Widespread fear. But there's no weapons. Only Jonathan and Saul have weapons. And now we come to chapter 14 to our chapter. Jonathan said to the young man who was his arms bearer, Let's cross over. He's also crossing over, but he crosses over to the Philistines, to the Philistine garrison. He did not inform his father. So we have Jonathan, the son of Saul, but they're two very different people. Jonathan goes off on his own, doesn't inform Saul. Jonathan is the one who started the war. Vishaul Yoshev Bikseha Givah Tachatarimon Ashebimigron. 
Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Giva under a tree. He has 600 soldiers. Not 2,000, 600. He has a priest with him, a descendant of the house of Eli, who is carrying the ephod. The ephod is used in this book to ask questions of God. The people did not know that Jonathan had left. And now the story continues in verse number 6. And Jonathan said to the attendant, Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised ones. The Philistines are often called, more than any other people, uncircumcised ones. That's a very interesting phenomenon, not for now. Perhaps God will help us. We should repeat that expression, that verse. Ki'ain, there is no obstacle to God to save if there are many or if there are few. In other words, Jonathan's thinking is precisely the opposite of his father's thinking. His father is concerned about the numbers. Seems like a perfectly reasonable concern. And Jonathan says, listen, what's the difference? If God is with you, you can win. And if God is not with you, you're not going to win. So let's go over and let's have a plan. And this is the plan that Jonathan uh, advances. His Nosei Kelim says, his attendant says, do whatever you wish. I am with you, 100%. So Jonathan has the following idea, beginning in verse number 8. Let's go over to the garrison and let's make ourselves seen. They can see us. If they say the following, If they say, wait there and stop, we'll go down and see you, then we're not going to fight them. However, If they say, come up, then we'll go up. And this is the sign. Now what is the sign over here? So it can be understood as a sign, a divine omen. That's one way to understand it. But the simplest way to understand what Jonathan is saying is the following. It's not a sign which is unrelated to the actual situation. It's not a divine omen in that sense. What he's saying is, if they say, wait down there, then they suspect we might be dangerous. But if they say, come up, they assume we're not dangerous at all. Remember that none of the Israelites has a weapon except for Saul and Jonathan. If they don't know it's Jonathan, they will assume there is no weapon. If they assume Jonathan has no weapon, and Jonathan, it turns out, is a great warrior, if he has a weapon, he can wreak great havoc upon the Philistines. So that's the sign. And what happens is, they do exactly this. They make themselves seen. And the Philistine says, Oh, look at these Hebrews, the Ivrim. They're coming out of their, out of their, out of their uh, holes. 
where they've been hiding. So they presume that Jonathan and his attendant are two of the Jews who have been hiding, and now they're coming to make themselves known, maybe to surrender. Come up! And we'll, we'll, we'll tell you something, which means we'll teach you a lesson. So you came out of your things, you're going to be punished by us, come up, we'll determine what to do with you. Some kind of harsh punishment, no doubt. Not knowing this is Jonathan, and he has a weapon. Jonathan and his attendant go up, and Jonathan destroys the garrison. And the result of Jonathan destroying the garrison, in verse number 15, Terror breaks out amongst the troops in the camp and the field, all the Philistine troops. The outposts and the raiders were terrified. The earth quaked. A terror from God ensued. What is the terror? The terror is if the Hebrews were coming out of the caves and the tunnels and the holes, can destroy a garrison, then somehow the Hebrews have weapons. And we don't know where they are. They could be any place. They could be behind us, underneath us, on the side of us. We are surrounded by an enemy that we can't see, and a powerful enemy with weapons. That's the fear. So what Jonathan has done by attacking one garrison, one outpost, is to create a terrible fear. In the beginning of the chapter, it's the Israelites who have the great fear. And suddenly one person, Jonathan, with only one attendant, has completely reversed the situation. Meanwhile, Saul is waiting in his camp, doing nothing. And suddenly, the scouts, in verse 16, tell Saul what they see. They see a multitude scattering in all directions. And now Saul knows he must do something, but he doesn't know exactly what he has to do. Firstly, they discover that Jonathan is missing, and in the text that we have, the Septuagint is different. Saul asks that the ark be brought forward to inquire of the ark. We earlier in the chapter have the ephod, but in any event, Saul seeks some kind of divine guidance over here. And then Saul changes his mind. Meanwhile, the war is raging all around him. And the Hebrews are coming out of the rocks. So everybody's running about. Everybody's come out of the rocks. God is delivering Israel. Meanwhile, Saul is where Saul is. And in this chapter, in verse 24, Saul now imposes an oath upon the people. The oath is, as we go to war, no one is allowed to eat. So he imposes an oath, it's an oath, and it's also a fast. What we have over here is a person who thinks that to win the war, you wait for a divine omen, and we can't blame him for that. That was his understanding of what Samuel said. Wait till I bring the sacrifice. 
and Saul thinks you can't fight till you bring a sacrifice. In order to get God on your side, you need a sacrifice. And if not a sacrifice, you inquire of an ark, and perhaps of the ephod. And in order to get God on your side, you impose oaths. And in order to get God on your side, you impose a fast. Yes, a fast in the middle of a war. Sheer madness. And on the other side in the chapter is Jonathan, who says, Act courageously. If you act courageously, God will be on your side. So we have these two people over here, the father and the son, the father and the potential successor. And what you have in this chapter is, apart from the issue of Saul and Samuel, the text has introduced us to a different issue, which is Saul and Jonathan. Two different ways to understand how one behaves in this world, two different ways to understand how one connects to God. So in chapter 14, among other things, this issue is brought out into the open. There's the issue of Saul and Samuel, there's the issue of Saul and Jonathan.